Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Good morning and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast again. This is Elder David Wise here with you and we're happy to share time on the program with Elder Joe Nettles from Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church and here in the North Mississippi area. We'd certainly love to have you come out and worship with us. We both meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Sulphur Springs Church in Caledonia, Mississippi and Macedonia Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Come out and see us on Sunday mornings and we also have a joint meeting on Wednesday nights in Starkville, Mississippi. Mississippi at 200 West Garrett Road beginning at 6 p.m. We'd also direct you to our website, gospel-of-grace.com. Please email us and let us know that you listen. You can also check out our website at Macedonia, macedonia-pbc.org. A lot of sermons and content there. And for 24-7 Primitive Baptist content, download Grace Alone Radio app or go to gracealoneradio.net and have 24-7 streaming of Primitive Baptist preaching, singing, and edifying content. In our time on the program, we've been going through Jesus Christ and the law, and this morning we've arrived at the tabernacle. So we'd like to look at the components of the tabernacle that teach us spiritual lessons of the New Testament kingdom and point us to Jesus Christ. So we certainly hope this will be a blessing to you. Please stay tuned, and we'll play that message for you right after the song.
thank you for staying tuned here with us again on the Gospel of Grace. And we'd like to continue to examine Jesus Christ in the Mosaic Law. And we'd like to continue to make our way through and examine the tabernacle. In previous messages, we have considered the outer court with the brazen altar and the brazen laver. We've considered the holy place with the table of showbread and the golden candlestick and the altar of incense. And now we are entering into, approaching unto the most holy place, the holy of holies. And in the Old Testament law, only one man was allowed to enter into the holiest of all, and he was only allowed to go in there one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Lord willing, we'll focus on that in a later message, give more detail about the importance of the Day of Atonement pointing toward the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But no one was allowed into the most holy place, the holiest of holies, except the high priest, and he was only allowed in there one day a year. So it was a very restrictive place. There was not open entry. And what's so significant about that is we have a reference in the New Testament that the veil of the temple, this is in the Gospels, particularly Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, in that day at Solomon's temple that had been rebuilt by Herod, this was really Herod's temple, this veil was not just a little curtain. This was a huge, thick, I haven't looked back at my notes, but it's like a 70-foot tall veil that nobody could reach up to the top of, and it was like two inches thick. Like there was no ability for any human. Even if you got some animals, you got some horses, and you tried to pull it apart, they couldn't even pull apart this veil. But not only was this veil rent, but notice the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, and it was so tall that there was nobody that was going to be able to get up to the top of that and certainly to have the leverage to tear this veil. So what's so important is that the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And it describes in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20 that this veil is the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his flesh was torn. His body was torn so that we would have direct access in the holiest of all. And see, that's what happened on the eternal day of atonement. There was one day a year in the old Mosaic law where the high priest and Jesus Christ is our great high priest. We've talked about that already. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And he went in to represent. Aaron in that day would go in to represent all of God's people before God for the atoning of sins for that 12-month period. And Jesus Christ is our great high priest, went once into the holiest of all, and he shed his blood upon the mercy seat before God the Father. And because of that, our sins have been forgiven and remitted before Almighty God. And because he did that, because he went in the holiest of all and he shed his precious blood on our behalf, now that veil of the temple has been rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And now we have direct access into the holy place, which is just the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of heaven. We're going to find the Ark of the Covenant is pointing toward Jesus Christ. And because of his work and in the holiest of all, we talked about the, the holy place being a picture of the church, but the holiest of holies is describing heaven, the presence of God. And we have no ability to enter into the presence of God in and of ourselves. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because hey, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, now we have direct access 
to God. We have direct access to Jesus Christ because he came and died on the cross. His body was broken for us. His body was, was rent in twain. Now, not a bone was broken, but his body was rent in twain so that that veil would be right. And now it describes this in Ephesians chapter two. God, Christ has broken down that middle wall of partition. There used to be a restriction and something that was at enmity between us and God and we had no ability to approach unto him. But now that middle wall of partition, that veil of the temple has been rent in twain, it's been broken. And now we have direct access to God in heaven through Jesus Christ. So as we enter into the holiest of all, it was a solemn place and no one was allowed in there but once a year. But now we have direct access. Wow, what an amazing thing, right? We have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. We're only allowed that access through Jesus Christ, not by prayer you prayed, not by your good works, not by a baptism. That is not how you approach unto God. The only access, the only right that we have to approach unto God is through the shed blood of our Ark of the Covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was a veil in this Old Testament that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And now that veil of the temple has been rent in twain and we have direct access into the holiest of all. So what was in the holiest of all? It was the Ark of the Covenant, primarily. The holiest of all was the residing place of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was made of shittim wood, but it was covered with gold inside and outside. It had four rings of gold on it that allowed them to move it. It was three and three-fourths feet long and two and one-fourth feet tall and wide. So not really a very large thing. It was really just a box. It was a box that was made of shittim wood and covered in gold. And that is a picture, I believe, of Jesus Christ as both the Son of God as the Son of Man, a very common thing, shittim wood, but then gold, that's a picture of royalty and power. So you have a Ark of the Covenant, and this whole Ark of the Covenant is pointing toward Jesus Christ. And I hope the Lord will bless us to see that together. You have the Ark that's made of shittim wood and also covered in gold, but it's a picture of Jesus Christ as both the Son of Man and fully the Son of God at the same time. As just a side note, this Ark of the Covenant. Very interesting story. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant, and you have this false god that they leave this false god, this graven image in there, and when they show up the next day, Dagon is bowed down to the Ark, then they stand him back up, and they go in the next day, and his hands are cut off. <laughs> And they said, man, we don't want anything to do with this Ark of the Covenant. And they get, they end up giving it back to Israel. So the power of the physical Ark of the Covenant was very manifest in the Old Testament. But understand, it's pointing toward the power of Christ. Okay, So in that Ark of the Covenant, you have three things that God told Moses to put inside this box of the Ark of the Covenant. Three things inside the Ark of the Covenant. You have the tablets of the law. Aaron's rod that budded, and a golden pot of manna. So you have the tablets of the law. So before we get there, before we get to the tablets of the law, you have this box of the Ark of the Covenant covered in gold. And then on top of that box, you essentially have a lid. You have the mercy seat that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's the same dimensions, the same width. And this mercy seat sits 
upon the Ark of the Covenant. And then above that, you have golden cherubims that are facing one another, but they're looking down onto the Ark. So I want you to understand this picture. Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. He is our propitiation. That word is used in the New Testament. Mercy seat equals propitiation. He was our sacrifice that remitted our sins. So Jesus Christ is both the Ark of the Covenant and he's the mercy seat. But I want you to notice that down in that ark was the law of God. And if you remember the law, the tablets, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses, then he goes down and he sees God's people in debauchery and sin, and he, in his anger, he casts those down. And then God makes a second set of tablets of that law, and that is what was put into the Ark of the Covenant. So I want you to get this picture. You have the, the law sitting down in the Ark of the Covenant, you have the golden cherubims looking down, God figuratively looking down, but there is a mercy seat on top of that law, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, when they're looking down on it, so, which is just a beautiful picture of, first of all, we have broken God's law, just like those Israelites did, right? We broke God's law, and there's a remnant of that. We have a law written in our hearts, right? We have a law written in our hearts at the new birth by the Holy Spirit. But we have broken God's law. And how is it that God can look down into the Ark of the Covenant and see the law that was broken by man? How can he view that broken law and not consume man? How does he view God? How does he view that law even though we've broken it? Well, he views it through the mercy seat, right? He views it through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have these cherubims on top, and they're facing one another and looking down at the mercy seat, and they look through the mercy seat, and they view the law of God through the mercy seat as Jesus Christ fulfilled the law perfectly without one jot and one tittle missing from his perfect obedience of the law. Christ looks down and sees the law through the obedience of Jesus Christ. So in this amazing picture, we are viewed through the mercy seat as having Jesus Christ perfect obedience to the law. So when God looks at us, he does not see us as breaking God's law. He views us through the perfect obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ through that mercy seat as our propitiation, which is just beautiful, beautiful picture. You have the golden cherubims on top, okay? God is described in multiple places as him that dwelleth between the cherubims, which is just beautiful language. He sits between the cherubims. He dwells among the cherubims, and that is the place where God chose to commune with his people in his Shekinah glory. But now, where does he commune with us? In our, in our soul, right? Again, that our bodies are a temple. Our bodies are a tabernacle. We have the innermost, most holy place of our soul that is the residing place of Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Where does, where does God commune with us? Where's his glory manifested? In our soul. Now, it should be exhibited in our life, but God manifests his glory in our soul. He dwells between the cherubims. He dwells between the cherubims and the souls of his children, right? And I also like this picture of the cherubims looking down. And it says that in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, that angels desire to look into these things. Uh, it's always been very confusing to angels that God's law was broken and there were some angels, fallen angels, that God didn't provide a remedy of salvation for. It's been very confusing. Why? Why, why do you keep loving these people that sin and make mistakes all the time? 
And the angels desire to look into these things. And you have a little bit of that picture of the angels desire to look into these things with the cherubims looking down on the law. So three components of the Ark of the Covenant. First of all, you have the law. And again, that law is viewed as God looks down on that law. It is viewed through the obedience of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled the whole law to a jot and to a tittle. And also, God commanded Moses to put into the Ark of the Covenant Aaron's rod that budded. This account is in Numbers chapter 17. Aaron's rod that budded. And that was a confirmation of Aaron as the rightful high priest. There were people that were questioning Aaron. And Aaron, he, he put his rod, as well as other people that felt like that they were a rightful high priest, they put their rod in there. And Aaron's rod budded, which is a confirmation of him as the rightful high priest. But that is a picture of, first of all, life coming from a dead rod. A branch. There's no life in a branch that has been plucked off of the tree and removed from its life source. That was a dead rod. But God gave life to something that was dead as a confirmation of who was his rightful great high priest. So what was it that certified that Jesus Christ is our rightful great high priest? It was his resurrection from the dead, right? That was the confirmation that set him apart from everyone else. It set him apart from every prophet that said that I'm a true prophet. It set him apart from everyone in the history of the world that said, I'm a God. Well, guess what? You may think you're a God, but you died and you stayed dead. He said, I'm God. He said, I'm the son of God. And he died and he was resurrected. So there was a resurrection back to life that confirmed the identity of God's chosen great high priest. And that is what Jesus Christ was, right? It is an evidence of his resurrection from the dead that certified and confirmed him as God's rightful great high priest to make intercession for his people. So that rod that budded, that's pointing toward Jesus Christ as well. And then we have the golden pot of manna, golden pot of manna. And Jesus Christ said, I am that manna. He addresses this in John chapter six. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I am that bread from heaven. I am the manna. So that golden pot of manna is pointing toward Jesus Christ. And it's sustained. If you remember that manna, it was only good for one day unless it was the sixth day and they got double for the seventh day Sabbath. But this was manna that lasted eternally. This was manna that lasted eternally, contrary to nature. And Jesus Christ is that living bread that lives forever, right? He is the eternal bread of life. He is the eternal Son of God. So here in the Ark of the Covenant, you have the tables of the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law to a jot and to a tittle. You have Aaron's rod that budded, a picture of a confirmation of the true great high priest from a resurrection from the dead. Then you have a, rem a reminder of the golden pot of manna. And Jesus Christ is that manna, the bread of heaven. So everything about the Ark of the Covenant is pointing toward Jesus Christ. And then we have the mercy seat that sits on top of that. And there was sacrifices that was made on the Day of Atonement that was a confirmation that God accepted that sacrifice and the sins of the people were remitted or rolled forward for at least another 12-month period. So here in the holiest of all, we have Aaron entering once a year, the great high priest entering once a year for the purpose of sacrificing for atonement to put away the sins of his people. And we don't really have time to dig into this as, as in depth as I would like to, 
But so much of this is in the book of Hebrews. And so much of what we've been talking about during this series in Jesus Christ and the law, so much of this is just an exposition of Hebrews. And we don't have time to consider all of that. We would hope maybe this will stir your thoughts to go study that on your own. So we'd like to go to Hebrews in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to go to Psalm 85. Psalm 85 and verse 10. And it says, Mercy and truth are met together, and righteousness and peace have kissed one another. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. How is it that mercy and truth are met together? Well, I would present for your consideration that mercy and truth met together on the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant in Jesus Christ. Because those are mutually exclusive, right? The breaking of the law is significantly in contradiction to the mercy seat, right? Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. And those laws have clearly been broken. So down here in the Ark of the Covenant, you have an evidence that the law has been broken. But up here on the mercy seat, you have propitiation that says we're not going to give them what they've earned, what they justly deserve. How do those reconcile? How can people that have broken God's law enter into the presence of God? How? It's that mercy and truth have met together, and we have this beautiful picture of mercy and truth meeting together in the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of all. So what happened? What happened when Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God, came to pay the penalty for our sin on that eternal day of atonement? He entered in the holiest of all. He ripped that veil of the temple, and now we have direct access to God. But Jesus Christ entered once into the holy place. You really need to read all of Hebrews chapter 9. We're just going to have to jump in here in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. For Christ has not entered in the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Where did he go to make payment for our sin? He went into heaven itself. He went into the presence of of God, nor yet that he should offer himself as the high priest and into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that was an appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The same context and flow continues in chapter 10, the law having a shadow of good things to come can never take away sin for time's sake we're gonna have to skip a good bit of this but let's just skip down to verse 12 but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever has sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting to his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified listen child of God it's not up to you to accept Jesus Christ to go to heaven it's not up to you to pray the right prayer or be baptized or do good works as the means by which you gain eternal life. The only way that sinners are saved from their sins is because Jesus Christ entered into the holy place once. 2000, he's not going in there multiple times. He's not going in there and say, God, I missed somebody. He entered in one time representing all of his people. Remember the great high priest? He had the names of all of God's people when he went into the holy place. He represented every single one that he intended to represent. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ finished the work of salvation on the cross. It is finished. 
Amen. It is done. Jesus entered once into the holy place. It's not up to you to present yourself before God. It's not up to you to offer your heart to God. As many preachers have said, if you offered your heart to God before you've been born again, what would he do with the dirty, rotten thing? It has to be sanctified. It has to be cleansed by the washing of regeneration and cleansed by the Holy Spirit for God to even be able to look on that dirty, rotten heart of yours. The Holy Spirit has to change your soul in regeneration. And the Son of God entered in once into the holy place. He shed his blood that was, that was sacrificed on the mercy seat. And it's by his blood that now God views us through his blood as perfect obedience to the law. I tell you, it doesn't get any better than this. Amen? It doesn't get any better than Jesus Christ leaving the throne room of heaven and coming into this world to die for our sins wretched sinners that are no good in and of ourselves, but he shed his blood on the mercy seat as a propitiation that we would be saved from our sins. He ripped that veil of the temple open, and now we have direct access into the holiest of all. I want to tell you, child of God, that is the reason that you're saved from your sins is because one man entered in one time into the presence of God and his blood purged everyone that he represented from their sins. It is finished. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Amen. I'll tell you, that's the gospel right there. That's the good news. And I'll tell you, everything about this Old Testament law is pointing toward Jesus Christ. It's pointing toward the insufficiency of these Old Testament sacrifices and pointing toward the sufficiency of the one sacrifice that Christ made for our sins on the tree of the cross. And I'll tell you, child of God, he did his job. It is finished. It is finished. And we have been redeemed and sanctified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood upon the mercy seat has saved us from our sins. Praise be unto God for his merciful propitiation on our behalf for allowing our Ark of the Covenant to come and be our mercy seat to save us from our sins. Praise God for the good news of the gospel. We hope this has been a blessing to you and glorifying to the Lord. And I would encourage you to go out this Lord's Day and worship God hopefully in a primitive Baptist church, go out and worship God for him saving you from your sins and finishing the work of salvation by his sacrifice and death and blood on the tree of the cross. May God be praised and glorified. God bless you this morning. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. 
This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caldonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.